0: You are listening to the science and soul of living well where we highlight evidence-based tools from psychological science and complementary and alternative medicine to help us all cultivate resilience and live with more meaning purpose, and alignment with personal values, even in the most stressful and darkest of times. I'm Melissa Ming-Voines, your host, and I am also a clinical psychologist and educator, trauma-informed mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher, and Ayurvedic doula. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining me for this week's podcast. Before we launch into today's episode, I just wanted to remind everyone about my new free four-part video series, The Science and Soul of Building Resilience, which presents some concrete resilience-building strategies that can be integrated into our daily lives. And so, if you are interested, I encourage you to check it out in the episode notes. So I'm really thrilled and honored to have with me here today Leslie Rangel. And I want to welcome Leslie by having her just share a little bit about who she who she is and her background, Leslie?
1: all right thanks Melissa I'm really excited to be here chatting with you so a little bit about me I um I'm the news Yogi uh I I like the name uh, a photographer of mine um and I say photographer of mine because I'm a journalist and I work specifically in TV and so he was a photographer that I was frequently paired up with and when I started a little bit to dive deeper into my yoga, the way I know it now, he said, you know, you're the news yogi. And I was like, it stuck. I was like, I love that. I am the news yogi. And so that that's kind of how it, how it stuck. And so I'm a, yoga instructor, yoga educator, but I'm also a journalist, a storyteller. Um, and so that's a little bit of, of what I do. And my work right now, I am exclusively teaching journalists um, to just
0: help with healing. I love that. And I I wonder Leslie if you could share a little bit more about that about your your stance or your relationship to journalism and and how you view it as a mode of of storytelling and a mode of healing.
1: Yeah. So, um let's see. I would say that journalism for me in the capacity that I really launched into the career is really just wanting to share stories and and it's so cliché but you know give a voice to the voiceless and and I would say that's changed. I would say, you know, people aren't voiceless. I think people just need amplification of their voices. And so as a person of color as a first generation Mexican American, I have really begun to see that there are a lot of voices that are missing and they're not being amplified for whatever reason. You know, maybe they haven't felt safe to open up about certain topics or stories, or maybe um, they've been overlooked in, in sharing their stories. And so I think my mission is just to really help um, help do a, a better service in, in terms of storytelling by making sure that all these stories that we are hearing are well-rounded, um, regardless of ethnicity, color, race, gender um, sexual orientation, anything of the sort and 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 I guess it's looking at it in terms of healing you know we can think about our ancestors and specifically for mine um, you know it, looking at the lineage of, of the history of Mexico and and just this rich, storytelling history, I, I really see myself as just an extension of the work that really my ancestors were doing was telling stories and, and making sure our stories lived on. And so that's really what my mission in journalism is, is to just continue sharing these stories, um, you know, the good ones, the bad ones, also the ugly ones, so that we don't forget who we are and, and where we came from.
0: It's, it's interesting to hear you, you talk about this lineage and, and how for you, there really is this deeper, profound sense of, of meaning and purpose in terms of extending what was transmitted through your ancestry and also this this piece about not forgetting who we are, because in many ways, that's how I think about the practice of yoga coming home to ourselves and feeling more able to inhabit ourselves. And for many people, the practice of yoga is also about reflecting on aspects of lineage to carry forward aspects of lineage to heal. And so it really is this really beautiful tapestry, this intersection of, of yoga and, and journalism and, and what you just described.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love how you described it as a tapestry and and it really is and you know i'll be candid i didn't always see yoga or journalism like that you know i i think for a long time yoga was just a workout for me that that made me feel good i couldn't really pinpoint why um but i felt bendy and fun and and i really you know i couldn't pinpoint where that feel good feeling was coming from or really why and then in terms of journalism i think I think it was easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day minutia of having to really grind for stories, so to speak, you know, just this idea of, of you know, you show up to work, you do a meeting, you have to do a story, um, you have to edit, you have to shoot it, you have to interview people, get it, do the live shot, write it go and and it was that over and over and over and over and over again so it got to the point where you really forget like what really is my point here what really is the point of 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 doing this and it was easy to lose sight um and i think what really was a special moment for me is when i began um really this deeper dive into yoga and and that didn't really happen until I took my first yoga teacher training and and I learned more about what pranayama breathing techniques were. And I learned about these things called the yamas and the niyamas and, and that there was this way of life to live as a yogi, that it was more than just, you know, blue lemon pants and, and a cool mat. <laughs> um, and and i think really just that really planted the seed and and you know I, w- I would even venture to say that it didn't necessarily plant the seed the seed was already there it just it grew the roots and and it started sprouting the bud of of who i really am and and where i'm meant to go in life um and so i think through that i began to really really use yoga as a way to deal with that stress first of all you know to to be able to acknowledge like I am in this career in this industry that burns out so quickly and it's super easy to forget really what the mission of journalism is. And I think a lot of journalists and I feel like I can say that because I was there. A lot of us journalists forget what is the mission? What is the point of this? But when we can really come back to our mission and our purpose, I think that not only serves us as humans, but it serves our storytelling. We can see people when we're sharing those stories you know, we can really do more of a of a service also to our society. And, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not ignorant to the fact that right now there's such a scrutiny of quote unquote the media. And I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are a lot of people who want to call themselves journalists and maybe have lost sight of what what that original goal was meant for. Um and and I do believe that that some people in the media space are doing a large disservice to the real goal of journalism. Um, but for me, my mission is to, you know, help other journalists and giving them the tools to really find their self healing. Because as you said, you know, it's this idea of coming back home. If if for some reason you are in storytelling, are in the media, are in journalism, I don't believe that's by coincidence. Something somewhere along the line called you there. And, you know, it. it's important to remember why. Why were you called there? Why were you called to be a journalist? Because this industry is hard. You know, it. we meet people... On their on their worst days um, we meet people on the days that they've lost family members in those moments where where they're grieving we meet people on their best days you know on the days that that they won a, a hard-fought election um, and and maybe on the days where they fought a hard election and then lost and we're really looking forward to leading their community and however they want to lead it um, and so, it, you know, it can just it, it's such a heavy responsibility that I think can be easily lost in terms of remembering what that responsibility is. And so it's incredible to see really how my yoga journey has helped me refine that purpose, that dharma. Right. We mm-hmm. talk about dharma. And sankalpa, your heart's greatest desire, and and I think just at the heart of it all for me is just is really just healing and and carrying on um, something that is is really important, which
0: I believe is storytelling. I really appreciate everything that you shared, Leslie, and I think this this really important kernel of how the way our lives are structured, our professions are structured that often promote a disconnection from our deeper sense of meaning and purpose and mission. And I really do believe that continuing to come back to that over and over again is a part of of resilience and of of living our lives and living out the deepest expressions of, like you said, our, our heart's desires or our missions or our passions, whatever words resonate with us to describe that, but that th- in journalism, it sounds, I'm, I'm not a journalist. So, so hearing from you, just hearing about the grind and the time and the pressure and the deadlines And also the exposure to the depth of human experience. Like if you really are doing a service to the people whose stories you're telling and voices that you're lifting up, you are opening yourself up to that emotion and to that experience and allowing for that connection to happen. And that is something that I think is true of other professions as well. Both this aspect of the grind and the time and the pressure and also this exposure to the full breadth of human experience, the joy and the heartache and the sorrow and, and everything between. And so having that connection to meaning and purpose is a way to have, have resilience in the midst of all of that, and also can create a container to hold all of that. And so like you said, we all need some, I think, practice to do that. And it can be yoga. It doesn't have to be yoga, but some way of coming home to that meaning and mission, some way of having a container to support how we're living out our day-to-day lives, because often our professions, the systems, and our society don't necessarily support that. Don't necessarily encourage us to connect back to that deeper meaning and purpose or to create that container to hold all that we're holding both within us and for other people, um, regardless of what professions we, we may be in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, my experience in journalism has been that the more you work the more you overwork and and almost you know pour your there's almost an old saying like and and a lot of journalism colleagues you know we say it and we laugh we used to laugh about it um you gotta sell your soul to news and That's what it it felt like, because there there was a lot of this sense of guilt if you had to take a day off, you know, mm-hmm. oh, no, you know, I can't take a day off or or just the idea of incorporating any kind of mindfulness practice, I think, for a long time was either laughed at or, you know, not really talked about, you um, there, there's a lot of stories of alcohol abuse in journalists. Um, I I myself know that I most definitely used alcohol as, as a means of coping
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the high stress of it all. Um, but, but just to now have the tools and know that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to talk about things and it's okay to discuss. And it's okay if you do take a day off. Um, you know, now knowing that all of that is okay. Um, it just, it, it, it's so refreshing and, and being able to come back, you know, if for some reason I needed to take a day off, being able to come back recharged, um, I think is so important.
0: hmm And that, Mantra or sentiment of it's okay to not be okay, I think is so important because as you know, so often we judge our not okayness and that adds more suffering to the equation is, is that layer of judgment, again, which often is reinforced or cultivated by our environments because they don't necessarily promote days off or self-care more explicitly or offer tools that are integrated within the workplace. It's not like we have many of our workplace settings don't have a meditation hour (laughs) or a mindful lunch or something like that, or even a nap. So, so yeah. So I think this intellectually, I think we all get this idea of it's okay to not be okay. And yet do we actually practice that? Do we actually engage in behaviors that demonstrate that we believe that and and that often counteract some of these structures that make it hard to not be okay and to embrace our, our not okayness? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I love that, you know, I think we all get that idea. I love when you said that, but are we practicing it? I mean, it's it's an ongoing thing for me, you know. Am I and and I think about it sometimes like for example, today at work I clocked in a twelve hour day technically, you know, but But to me, it's I don't know, it's the fine line of did I really overwork myself or was I just so excited about an interview that I was doing that I just wanted to stay a little bit longer? So maybe that's a good problem and not uh, not so much a great example of it. But, you know, there have been times where. Where I I say you know oh I don't want to take off um, even though I'm not feeling mentally a hundred percent but I don't want to take off I don't want to um, I don't want to create issues for anybody or I don't want to be labeled as the problem person who you know had to call off and um, I'm lucky right now to work in a newsroom that values so much who we are as humans and. And I know that that that's not always the case. I've worked in newsrooms that were very toxic. Um, I've worked in newsrooms that I was in very toxic places, um, personally, and add on top of that a toxic workspace. And so it was a very dangerous area for me to to be in and to live through. Um, and and having lived through that, you know, if if anybody is going through that, I encourage you to. Really, just ask yourself, you know, what are you doing to make sure that you are okay? Because I think when I when I began to teeter on these really dark, dark places, I think at one point I was just like, okay, this you're not okay, Leslie, and and we need to do something about it. And um, and so that that just kind of was a almost a second coming home for me mm-hmm. in terms of my yoga practice and, um, really just diving a little bit deeper into who I am. And, and ultimately I did leave that toxic place both, uh, personally
0: and professionally. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you, you sharing that example because it feels like there is a spectrum of not okayness, right? Like it's okay to not be okay. And what do you need to, to get to a place of more replenishment and nourishment and stability. And yet when does there need to be a change in your environment or like you said, in, in your job or whatever the circumstances are like, sometimes the, the level of not okayness is more fixable, so to speak, in terms of changing work life balance, lifestyle habits, relationship to work, self-limiting beliefs, et cetera. And, and sometimes we're not the problem. And and we can work on all of these kinds of efforts. And yet if the external circumstances are toxic, as you say, there's a limit to what we can do to to feel more okay and to feel more grounded, even in a high stress kind of career like like you have. So I think it's important to have that discernment of where is this falling on, on the spectrum. And- so I'm curious to know from your perspective, you've you've mentioned burnout being common in journalism and anxiety and stress and, and work-life balance. And can you share a bit about the specific aspects of yoga or practices of yoga that you have found helpful in addressing some of those pieces of? Burnout prevention and and work life balance and stress or anxiety management. I know that's a lot of of things. (laughs) Um, But I'd love to just hear your perspective on how yoga has helped in those ways specific practices that you want to lift up any anything that you want to share in that regard.
1: Yeah, so I mentioned just a moment ago, you know, the second coming home of sorts. So I'll, I'll talk about it in that way. So the first coming home to me in terms of my yoga practice and really helping me um, in in my career as a journalist, I think the first coming home was really learning how to check in with myself and, and check in with um, my stress, my anxiety, um, you know, I guess a little bit more on the um, on the outer emotional layer you know if we could think about layers um and and through my first yoga teacher training i really learned who i was as a person and what were some of the things that were more triggering for me in terms of stress not stress things like that and so i remember um during that time i was living and working in oklahoma which is, uh, you know, now knowing what I know, I look back and I'm like, of course it happened in Oklahoma. Oklahoma is such a native sacred land. Of course, Mm -hmm. that was somewhat symbolic to a coming home that I know of, I I don't know or or think I have any Native American um, ancestry, Um, but who knows, maybe I need to do an ancestry test. Um, But just, you know, again, the testament to the fact that it's such sacred land in general, um, I think is beautiful. But uh, I remember frequently being in Oklahoma City is where our newsroom was, and it wouldn't be uncommon to be sent, you know, two hours away to cover a story, and and having to do it quickly. You know, maybe it was six o'clock, and you were getting sent out somewhere, and you had to have a story, and an every interview, and a live shot, and a you know web script, basically all ready to go to be live sometimes for a nine o'clock show, sometimes for a 10 o'clock. And, um, you know, that would include drive time. And so just like this massive, like, we've got to go now. And so Mm. it wasn't common that, you know, after the moments where I made a few calls and, and, um, you know, got my story outline ready, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to just practice breathing exercises, you know, pranayama, um, just riding in the car as my photographer was driving, and I'd just be sitting there, you know, practicing some breathing exercises. And sometimes, you know, he thought I was quote unquote, woo woo. Um, but you know, he would join in them as well every now and then. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, and also, you know, going through some of these uh, mantras and some of these chants that my teacher Andrew Epler with um, Ashtanga Yoga in Norman, Oklahoma, you know, really working through some of that. And and almost same thing, you know, when I started yoga, I knew it felt good, but I couldn't pinpoint why. And so in these similar ways, like I, I think I, I got the breathing down, you know, okay, obviously when I'm doing some of these breathing techniques, I can see this direct result. But going through these mantras as I was, you know, part of our training then was to memorize them and be able to say them back to our teacher and so little did i know that while i thought i was quote unquote studying what i was really doing was using those chants as a way to help bring those vibrations, those, those, those energy channels and, and really allow for space in, in a time that was really stressful. You know, many times it was just high stress situations because usually when we were getting sent out to those things wasn't necessarily always a planned thing it was typically a breaking news type of situation so we were going into high stress situations where it involved perhaps a crime that had happened or um or a severe weather tornado outbreak where people's homes had been destroyed and so um so that was really wonderful for me to go through and 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 knowing you know when i would get back to the station knowing okay I've, I've got to get into a physical yoga practice i've got to move and release some of this energy and um and because it was an ashtanga practice you know it's a set sequence and so i believe that for me it was just all of those poses especially that first series um, the intro poses are all just so grounding I mean they're all warrior ones and and just standing poses and so you are just rooted down into the earth um, and and it was just so wonderful to be able to have that practice to go along with some of that stress management and um, and so, talking a little bit about more of the second coming home, So I shared a little bit about being in a in a toxic place where um, just I felt my experience. I can't speak for others who might have worked with me and and, you know, maybe, might know where i'm talking about but for me my experience was that it was just a very toxic place and i was made to feel like anything that i did was never enough i was never good enough and and i started to believe that because it was a place that i had put on a pedestal and and i thought you know was the ultimate place to be and so when when you put something or someone on a pedestal and and you get there and then they're saying nope you're not good enough nothing you do is good enough then i believe for me at least that's what led to some of that toxicity Um, and so that second coming home was less about really understanding a stress management but more about understanding my worth and and the yoga practices that i was coincidentally moving through at that point focused a lot more on on the self and it focused more on using breath work and using the movement to really find a sense of empowerment you know this idea of if you can hold a warrior two for said time and really just breathe into that discomfort You know, can you then take that off the mat in in the areas in life where it's hard and and where it hurts and where it's painful? And can you breathe space into those areas in life and really remember your power and remember your worth similar to how you would stand in a warrior two? And so I think that was that was almost like the second um, coming home is really remembering who I am and then knowing that just because I wasn't meeting someone's expectations here in the flesh didn't mean I was less than. Um, and so I think once I knew that I knew it was it was time to move on and um, and I have yoga absolutely to credit for that um, to just to just know and really being able to, remind myself of of my worth. And and of course I, I credit my teachers. It was, it's a studio here in Austin, practice yoga Austin. Um, that really helped help me find that. And my teacher Shanti Kelly and Giaconda Parker um, and Eva and Sean Kent, um, they all have beautiful teachings and all four of them were my teachers. And it was beautiful just to be able to feel that and to remember uh, my self-worth through
0: yoga. It's, it's really very powerful to hear you talk about not just these specific practices and the impact that they've had, but also this layered effect of this transformation that took place. How, like you said, there were sort of two coming homes, so to speak, to yourself. And, and the first was more about awareness of of body, of breath, of emotion, of specific practices that in many ways sound like they gave you a bit of of a rhythm, like having these physical practices that followed a certain sequence, having these breathing practices, having these mantras, these chants that there was a certain benefit of those practices in and of themselves. And also in many ways, they were also their own container, so to speak, for some of the stress and some of some of the emotion and maybe even a way to, to process some of that stress and emotion. And then it didn't stop there, that there was this way in which those practices then created a foundation or a springboard from which you then sort of peeled back more of the layers or or dug deeper in terms of this inner work that uh, allowed you to be um more in your own power and and someone told me once about uh, one translation of, of asana, the physical practice of of yoga, of being in good standing with yourself. And so that was something that came to mind for me as you were talking about being in this posture and tolerating the intensity of the physical sensations and the emotions as, as you're in this posture. And I think for many people, that is one of the really accessible aspects of yoga is that it gives us a concrete way to practice new stances in our lives, new ways of relating to ourselves. So if we are able to, in a concrete way, practice empowerment to practice a posture that feels empowering that we can that allows us to tap into the strength of our body, the vigor of our life force, the the gratitude for our, our bones and muscles and tendons and all of that like it just it makes it less abstract because I think many of us struggle with self-worth and different iterations of what that looks like in our lives. but to have a practice that gives us a concrete way to practice, being more in our worth and feeling more empowered, I think, is is really remarkable. So, so anyway, so I, I just loved what you shared about this sort of layered aspect to your transformation and, and work and also the accessibility of some of these yogic practices and how they helped you practice increasing self-worth and increasing empowerment in a really important important way. And and as I know, you know, this, um, but just to lift it up for people who may not, there is a lot of, of course, these, these practices come from ancient times and have withstood the test of time, and many people have used them. And then there's also this scientific research that supports the power of these practices in terms of the physiological changes that happen when we engage in pranayama or breath control, or some of the ways in which taking certain physical postures sends signals to our brain that can shift emotion. And so there's this this ancient wisdom that, that supports the power of these practices, and yet also this scientific aspect as well, neither type of wisdom necessarily being more important or more valid. Um, And yet I do think it's powerful when, when there's alignment there with, with ancient wisdom and and some of the science. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I love that, that you talk about that um because you know i think in a way too it has it has brought me um closer to who my you know ancient heritage is um i i've recently been doing some research and um and i was empowered to look a little bit more into it because there is a yoga, a, a form of yoga, um, you know, in in its own right, that has come from like the African and Egyptian areas of the world, and and so I know a lot of, uh, people of African descent are are practicing this particular type of yoga. I believe it's Khamantic, Khamatic. Um, mm be mispronouncing that um but uh then that that led me to remember some of the in in some mayan um i know the name in spanish but it's not coming to me in english it's like um it, it, basically, they're like pillars and, and within these pillars are figures of, of Mayan gods and goddesses and just Mayan people. Um, and also in different uh, native cultures in Mexico, you know, I've, I've noticed some of these like similar mudras or similar what seems like yogic poses. And so recently I've just I've been doing research to see, you know, did did my ancestors have some sort of movement practice that they too use to help get back to themselves. And so I'm in the process of just looking things up out of curiosity. Maybe I'll find something, maybe I won't, but but I think the key here is that it's important to um, really get back to ourselves in in however manner that may be whether it's through breath work or yoga or mantra or dancing or walking and mm-hmm. and you know nature in the trees or running because I think you know again I, I think about where I was in journalism and just so caught up with you know, being on my phone and being on top of latest headlines and, you know, being on the TV and being on my computer that, that there were times where I just didn't even know who am I in my body in this moment? How do I feel beyond that? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great things. You know, I, I almost hate that question. How we, we all greet each other like, Oh, how's it going? Good. Thanks. And you move on. But, but how are you really doing like in this moment? how are you really doing how are you really feeling and i think when we can ask ourselves that you know i think you might be surprised by some of the answers that might come up if you answer that question honestly and and leave space to answer that question that's another thing is i feel like there's just always this rush there's like people are afraid of silence and and i almost like to use this technique sometimes when i'm interviewing people is I'll I'll leave the silence and it gets awkward sometimes. And it's almost like, ah, like even just right now, it's like you want to fill that silence. Um, And so I think if you turn that within, you know, test it on yourself, allow for that silence after you ask yourself a question. Um, I think again, that you might be surprised on some of the things that might come up.
0: I think that's a very powerful teaching. The this idea of the silence and space that we create for ourselves in terms of pauses when we speak, in terms of pauses after questions and that's something that's so possible to integrate as part of our daily lives and there is often such a reflexive action or a habit to just answer like you said a question like how are you with good or pretty good and and often even from a cognitive or emotional standpoint but not an embodied standpoint like i'm i'm reminded of this teaching of there is a body like so often we forget our bodies and and again our our culture, our careers, our lifestyles often promote this mind-body disconnect. And so when we're asked, how are you doing? We're not necessarily thinking about it in this multidimensional way. How am I doing in terms of my thoughts? How am I doing in terms of my physiology? How am I doing in terms of my emotional landscape? How am I doing in terms of different domains of my life, sexually, spiritually, parenting, et cetera? Like, we don't necessarily think in this multidimensional way. And I think being embodied and being in our bodies is one way that we can connect with that more multidimensional, holistic reflection of, of how we are. And like you said, it we don't have to wait for someone else to ask us the question. It's also something that we can can create within ourselves. And it doesn't have to be something that means to take 20 to 45 minutes a day of course creating silence in the form of a mindfulness or meditation practice can be really powerful and yet we can still create space we can still create silence within the busyness of our lives there is there is possibility there yeah
1: yeah, and I, I I like that you said, you know, we can create space. One of the things that I like to share with my students a lot, because journalists having, you know, I am one. And so we're <laughs> notorious on, on like, oh, I don't have time for anything. Mm-hmm. And I totally get it. Like, it's, it's a valid point. It, sometimes you feel like you always have to be plugged in but mindfulness can be something as simple and this is what i love to share with my students is you know in the morning if you if you absolutely feel you don't have time in the morning when you're in the shower getting ready for work practice mindfulness you know just feel that water as it's hitting the top of your head as it's rolling down your body you know feeling what the droplets feel like on your skin whatever soaps or you know scents that you smell and while you're in the shower really you know notice what that smell is like is it you know a citrusy smell is it more of an earthy smell is it a grounding smell um, what does the texture feel like of, you know, if you use a bar of soap or if you use a shower gel, or if you use a loofah sponge or, uh, you know, a plastic loofah, is it re you know, what, what are those textures that you're feeling and, and, you know, using those moments, um, you know, how long does a shower last five to 10 minutes, 15, if you're lucky that morning, <laughs> um. And so using those moments to really check in. And that's kind of, you know, when I'm waking up at two o'clock in the morning to head to work, those are my moments of, of mindfulness and meditation. And, and admittedly, sometimes I'll have, you know, an, a newscast on just checking in from whatever happened while I was sleeping. But other times I am just using those moments to just check in and and really just, you know, feel my hair, feel your skin, um, just that act of being mindful you know it doesn't have to be a 90 minute meditation practice which you know are also wonderful and effective <laughs> but it Be daunting for many people i know it was for me at the beginning and mm-hmm. here i am i've been practicing yoga since um i say 2008. So I'm journalists are notoriously terrible at math. So I'll let you do the math it's 2008 to now 2021. Um, and it's not until, you know, last year 2020 that I was really okay with sitting for an hour to meditate. I mean, how many years of practice is that? So
0: Yeah, I think it's important to have compassion for ourselves about how difficult the practice of of mindfulness is. Because again, as we're talking, our culture promotes short attention spans, right? And doesn't really promote comfort with silence and creating space. And so in many ways, we're reinforced for the kinds of habits and tendencies and behaviors that are not mindful. Like we think about the time span of a, of a commercial or an ad or reels on Instagram. I mean, all these things promote short attention spans. And, and we're also in, in a culture that often emphasize aversion to pain and fleeing from pain and seeking pleasure. And so I just think there are a lot of things that aren't necessarily our faults and yet it is on us to try to undo that that conditioning, so to speak. And I I really appreciate all of the examples you shared, because I think when we feel like mindfulness is an add-on, it's easy to not do it. And it's easy to justify not doing it. And yet when we think about it as a way that we can approach absolutely anything in life, it can become more integrated and feel less like an add-on. And like you said, we can pick anything that we do each day and use that as our opportunity. One of one of my teachers, Tara Brock, was sharing this story that really resonated with me about how when she became a parent, she felt like meditation practice was so elusive and it was just so hard and she was so sleep deprived. And so she made a commitment to herself to practice every day, regardless of what happened, even if that meant her practice was taking three deep breaths before she went to sleep. And I just love that because she reshaped her definition of what it meant to be mindful to meet the demands of her life in a compassionate way and and uh, and she also shared this example or i think maybe it was jack cornfield another one of my mentors who shared this example of a person who practiced mindfulness for the amount of time that it took her electric tea kettle to boil in the morning. So she felt as though, okay, I at least have that amount of time where I'm waiting for the water to boil. I can stay by the kettle rather than multitasking and doing something else and just noticing my body noticing my breath. And so I do think there is a lot of power in thinking about, okay, what aspect of my life is is a portal, is a gateway into integrating more mindfulness more purposefully, more intentionally, because I think when we think of it as an add-on, it can feel much more elusive and and inaccessible.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I frequently, even when I'm taking the dogs out, you know, I, I will leave my phone inside and I walk out there barefoot too, mm. you know, to allow for that grounding, to let my feet touch the grass, mm-hmm. to You know, feel the pug's ears to (laughs) rub their bellies and and to just feel that wind on my face and to see the leaves and and acknowledge there are seasons. And, you know, just like there are seasons on earth and with nature, we we have seasons in life too. And, you know, just checking in, you know, what season are you in right now, Leslie? And and be okay with it.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. Well, another. Aspect to what you mentioned, which is related to this conversation and somewhat separate of a thread, is worth and body and body image. And I I know that I've heard you talk a bit about body image in the past and how, in many ways, yoga was a path towards healing your relationship to yourself and your worth and also your body and i and i lift up body image because i think body image is something that not only many people struggle with but something that often gets in the way of people practicing yoga because they associate yoga with a certain body type or shape or fitness level or flexibility so and yet the practice of yoga can offer so much in terms of healing our relationships to our bodies. So that's, that's one reflection I wanted to ask you about. And the second thread, which is also related is about trauma, because it seems like in your work, you are exposed to a lot of trauma in terms of, of witnessing the aftermath of trauma, talking with people who have just experienced trauma. So there's this, this element of like primary trauma, where you're directly witnessing traumatic experiences, and then also vicarious trauma. So you're hearing stories about other people's traumas. And, and so I guess I'm wondering about that too, because of course, trauma lives in us in so many ways, our bodies being one of them. But I'm wondering if you have any reflections that you want to share about body image and trauma and, and how... What you might say to people for whom body image is a challenge might be getting in the way of approaching a yoga practice. It might make it feel more intimidating. And then also from the trauma perspective for people who have a history of trauma, collective, individual, what are the ways in which you see yoga as a way to navigate trauma, a way that yoga can be adapted for people with trauma? So I know that's a lot of questions, but those were just some some questions that were sparked by some of what you shared. And so wh- whatever aspect of that speaks to you, I would love to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah. So, so I think they actually go a little hand in hand. So um, I do want to preface the body image um, with a little bit of a trigger warning because I I've been in those spaces where I just absolutely hated my body. And so um, with that being said, I'll move forward with, with what I was going to say. Um, when I was in fourth grade, I was 250 pounds. And um, for a 10-year-old, that's a lot of weight for, for a child to hold. And it was most definitely absolutely directly related to um, emotional eating that was happening and and ongoing trauma that I was experiencing. Um, For a long, 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 long time, I was wrapped up in that image of of something that i had to look like Um, i was wrapped up in body dysmorphia and believing uh, a beauty standard that i think absolutely needs to be completely dismantled and canceled if you will Um, but uh i was wrapped up in that a lot and i definitely nothing was ever diagnosed but i i engaged in behaviors where I would not allow food to remain in my body. I um, It was not uncommon for me to just grab parts of my body and really just wish that I could take scissors um, and remove them, these parts of my body, and and that lived with me for, for a long time. And, and I talk about yoga, you know, I've talked a little bit about the beginning where, I was doing yoga as a workout, um, and it was it was indeed because I thought I needed to fix something about myself. I thought that something was wrong with the way I looked and and the way um, clothes fit me, and um, and so yoga was just an adage to that. But in a way, it was like yoga was there to save me because. I was doing the yoga and I knew it was making me feel good but not in the same way that like a boot camp class was making me feel good. It was a different kind of feel good. And yoga really just allowed me to find a little bit more of that inner strength and really the beauty in my body and and the compassion um, that I didn't know I needed for myself, you know, this idea that, my goodness, Leslie, how beautiful is it that at one point in your life, you went through so much trauma and and it manifested, through your body and how beautiful is it that you've been able to recover and and deal with that trauma. And now look at you, you know, I, I still have um, stretch marks all over my body. Um, there are parts of my body that are wrinkly, you know, it's not it's not like these photoshopped covers of uh, of Unrealistic beauty standards. You know, I'm I'm a real body with stretch marks and and scars and wrinkliness. Um, but I see that now, and I just I love it so much because there's a story that goes with it, um, and it's no longer you know this this wish that I could cut parts of my body off. It's more of like I see you and you're beautiful and you've come so far and how beautiful is that. And I, I, think, not I think I know that without my yoga practice and my self searching and my self healing, I would not have ever come to a place where I could even talk about that. Um, and so it's, it's been, um, it's been wonderful um, to be able to have, you know you said earlier, it's like you, it's like a layer, you know, you think you are going to yoga for a workout and then you realize, oh, there's something else that's making me feel good. Okay, fine. And then it's like, oh, this can help me manage stress too. Oh, okay, great. And then, oh, wait, it's also helping, you know, me with my body image. Oh, okay, great. But but wait, there's more. It's like, it's almost like an (laughs) infomercial, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Right. And, um, and so it's, it's, it just all goes hand in hand. And, and, you know, within that is also the trauma, you know, because the the body image was part of the trauma. And, and in in the work that I do now, we we absolutely face trauma through through many different aspects, whether like you said, it's through um, feeling that trauma firsthand, you know, I, I can actually, yesterday was, um, the anniversary of, of a tornado. It was relatively small in, in size compared to other really destructive tornadoes in Oklahoma that have happened, but it was, um, six years, I believe, since I lived through a tornado in Oklahoma. And I remember the trauma of at the time he was my boyfriend. He's now my husband. But um, at the time, my partner um, was stuck in the middle of this tornado. And I had the trauma of him calling me and and asking me, like, where do I go, Leslie? And this trauma of of not knowing like of of having to in that moment you know you you had to be out doing your story and, and your coverage and trying to figure out, you know, where are we going to go to interview people? And then all of a sudden your partner's calling and saying, where is this tornado headed? Because I am in the middle of it and not knowing, you know, it, is, is this the last time I'm going to talk to my partner ever? And, um, and so feeling, you know, that firsthand uh, trauma, but then also that secondary trauma, you know, it, it comes to mind a mother who was able to share with me a story about her son. Um, Her son was killed in a oil refinery explosion in Beaumont, Texas. And, um, and I still remember, you know, his name is Dustin Creekmore, and his mother's name is Deborah and I mean it's been Almost ten years since I covered this story, but I can still see her face. I can still see her tears as she was describing her son to me. Um, and you know, these stories live with you. And and being able to use your yoga practice to really deal with that, and 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 really to check in and and notice, you know, maybe. You know, for me, I tend to hold stress a lot in my jaw and and knowing like when I wake up in the mornings, um, just checking in. And if my jaw is sore, like going digging a little bit deeper, so to speak, like, okay, my jaw is sore. What's, What's up, Leslie? Like something's off and and just peeling it back by the layers okay your jaw's sore okay you you're stressed what's going on okay why are you stressed with what, like what's deeper what's deeper what's deeper um so i think my yoga practice has also helped with that i th- i do also want to acknowledge the fact that i think um right now specifically journalists of color are going through a lot. Um, I would say are going through an extra added layer of trauma to that because as journalists, I think we are tasked with being unbiased, um, and and that is absolutely valid. You know, as journalists, we we should be able to share many different perspectives without um, judgment. You know, it's not our stories we're telling; it's other stories we're telling. Um, whether that's something you personally agree with or not, that is not. You know, what our mission is. Our mission is to share other people's stories. Um, but I think it should be noted that. Some of these stories that are being shared are absolutely our personal stories. You know, the idea, for example, in the Black community, who right now journalists um, who are in the Black community are having to share these stories of. Just years and years of disenfranchisement and racism and um, oppression that has been ongoing, and and it should be noted that a lot of journalists are are scared to speak out about that because you don't want to be labeled as not being um, you know unbiased or or whatever label you might be afraid of and you know, similar right now with the crisis happening at the border, you know, even just this idea of labeling it as a crisis or not, Um, you know, the bottom line is, I'm seeing people who are my people who are brown and, and, you know, whatever you believe should happen, um, or not at the border, you know, that's not really what I'm arguing. I'm just simply saying, like, seeing those images is traumatic, mm-hmm. because it's... who who could have very well been me, who could have very well been my mother, um, and and having to have the gumption to see that, you know, of course, in the Asian American community and just the Asian community in general, um, seeing their people targeted, whether it's being said explicitly or not. And so... It's very heavy, um, and I think that's when the yoga practice for me becomes essential. Because if you don't know how the body is feeling, you don't know what your body needs, mm. and it's so important to have a level of. This is who I am. This is what I feel when I'm in balance, and when I'm out of balance, what can we do to bring that back into balance? And and that ultimately. You know, is, it comes with a lot of self-healing, a lot of self-inquiry. Um, it's difficult work, um, but it should also be noted, too, that, that it's okay to feel angry and to feel upset because you have a right to feel those things as, as a journalist um, because you're a human and, and these stories are happening to your people, to to, you know, people who look and then could very well be your family, um, who sometimes maybe they are.
0: Mm-hmm. I I really appreciate so much of what you you shared, Leslie, and and this last piece about feeling entitled to your feelings. I think is really important because so often I hear people talk about. I don't have a right to feel this because, or I have so much to be grateful for in a way that invalidates the painful parts. Like both can exist, right? We can have gratitude. We can recognize that we are in a different place than certain people. And yet we do get activated by other people's experiences. We are allowed to have those emotions in whatever form and whatever intensity. And And as you said, it it shows up in our bodies, just like it does in our minds. And it's an act of self-love and self-compassion to make the time and space to do that self-inquiry and to care for ourselves and tend to ourselves. And I absolutely recognize that for those of us who struggle with body image and self-worth, it's very hard. Like you said, it's hard work to cultivate this space. And you so tenderly described your own journey with, with some of these challenges, like peeling back the layers and, um, and, and just all, all the pain that, that is there. And so I, I think having compassion for ourselves, that it can be a difficult and complicated journey is really important. And I think also having hope that, that it is possible to heal and that we all have different Modalities that we're drawn to for our healing. And I think the common thread is like listening to the call for healing, like in whatever way that that shows up. And if you are struggling to find the right practice, so to speak, that cultivates that healing to keep going, because I, I just I firmly believe that healing is in our nature. Resilience is in our nature. And so often we're taught to think that we're not resilient. We're told that we're not resilient by by certain people. And so to just recognize that that's an, an innate capacity, it's sometimes just the matter of finding the right supports. And when I say just, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but that with the right tools, the right supports, like we all have that capacity to heal. It takes time. It's difficult work. And yet it is so possible. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and I love that, you know, again, it's yoga. When I, when I talk about my yoga practice, I'm not, I'm not referring to, okay, I'm going to roll out my mat and I'm going to do headstand and all these crazy bendy poses. When I share about yoga, it's, I love this definition and, um, and I don't, I don't know if I should credit Ashley Turner, one of my teachers, or Holly Corey. I don't quite remember which one said it. Maybe both. Um, but yoga is the practice of finding your own sensations, mm-hmm. and and I think that's what I mean when I refer to yoga. Um, we we had uh, kind of a crazy time here in Texas in February. It really felt like a humanitarian crisis, and it 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 sparked things in me that I. I didn't know we're there in terms of just remembering my my childhood growing up and some of the traumatic experiences that that I went through, and and that very much came back to surface. Um, you know, with this idea of not being able to find food or water. We didn't have power, so we didn't have power. We didn't have food. We didn't have water, and it was just this this survival mode that I went into. And um, when, you know, I was finally able to find some food at a grocery store, um, the first thing that I did was I I came home and I cooked and and my husband, he almost made fun of me. He said, Leslie, do you realize that you made crisis salsa? And (laughs) And I on it. And, and I, I was like, I was curious about that. Like, what did that mean? And, and what that really meant for me was that was my way of grounding. I went to, thing that made me feel safe. And what made me feel safe was remembering when I was young and, and my mother cooking and making salsa. And those are the times where I really felt most at home. You know, when all the world seemed to be falling apart, I knew that I could count on mom to just be there by the stove, you know, boiling these ingredients to make them into the salsa. And so I unknowingly almost reverted right back to that and was able to pinpoint that almost as unconsciously and and i created this you know crisis salsa in that <laughs> moment um and so that's when i talk about you know the practice of yoga you know that absolutely did not involve movement in fact i i went two weeks without any asana movement practice but just these little ways of being able to ground myself and, and know that that something was off and that I needed to practice finding my sensations. I th- I think that's really what I mean by my yoga practice.
0: Well, I think that's a, a beautiful note to end on and, and brings us full circle in many ways to this earlier part of our conversation about mindfulness and integrating it into life in a daily way that we don't have to necessarily move mountains with our practices. There can be a very brief, subtle checking in with ourselves that guides us towards what we most need. And when we don't make and create the time and space for that, it's hard for us to weather the storms of life, the weather systems of of life. And like you said, it It can be cooking, it can be having your feet in the grass, it can be snuggling with your puppies, like we all need some kind of practice to anchor us, to ground us, and to find that inner stability in ourselves. And, and we all need some kind of external scaffolding for that at at times when things are really hard. And so I think it's important to remember that it doesn't always need to be fancy or complicated or time-consuming to check in with ourselves because that really is, as you said, a huge part of what yoga is about is being able to listen to your inner wisdom and what your body and heart and mind are communicating about what is imbalanced and what you most need to bring yourself back into balance and alignment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: who knew that uh, salsa could be yoga, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I love that. Well, Leslie, I want to thank you so much for making the time and space for this conversation. And before we wrap up, is is there any anything you want to share as a closing thought or or reflection? I just want to practice what we preach about making space and make sure that I'm making space for you before we before we work towards closing
1: yeah I I think I would just like to say I really appreciate you creating this time in this space um, you know I myself even in my teachings am on a journey of of growth you know I think I think yoga for journalists kind of started a year ago for me as this you know as this outer layer of I wanna help teach journalists how to de-stress. And so let's stretch our shoulders and our arms. And and it's really evolving into what it is now. And what I talked about today is, is it's, it's a means of healing um, to really allow us to not only do a better service for our communities, but to also, you know, years from now when when people look back on 2021 and and say man you know a lot of things happened in this time and to be able to have these stories written down for people to show you know we were resilient and and this is how we handled it and and perhaps it created an awakening and 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 a space for silence that we didn't know we needed and so Mm -hmm. how are we to react to all of that and so Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me share.
0: Oh, of course. I, it's such a delight and honor to have this time to talk with you and to have you share your wisdom and, and your heart space with, with us. And I am personally just really grateful to know you and to be journeying with you in, in many ways, as you said, this year has taught us many things and I think in addition to possibly teaching us about w- many things that we have needed that maybe we didn't realize we have needed. I think it's also taught us more about how deeply interconnected we all are and how we are all human beings who are learning and growing and journeying together. So anyway, so thank you so much, Leslie. I'm so grateful to you. Oh, uh, Likewise. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, or leave us a review. If you'd like to reach out or connect more, please follow me on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next time.